Good morning. In case we're not acquainted, I'm John Arvin. Uh, I'm a longtime member of, of this church and a longtime school teacher in the Plainfield school system. Other than that, I am really no one of consequence, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and if anybody's keeping track at home, that's a movie reference already. That's one. <laughs> When Steve asked me a couple weeks ago if I would be willing to do this, fill in and preach when he was gone um, on vacation, I, uh, immediately I was excited about it, and my answer I knew was going to be yes, I want to do it, this sounds like fun, I would love to do it. And then I went home and started to kind of think about it a little bit, and I thought, wait a second, you mean I have to try to keep people kind of engaged for like 20-ish minutes? Four times in one morning. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm a public school teacher. That's my life. I do it every day. So I don't think that part of it's going to be that bad. I don't think that part of it's going to be that hard, really. I am having a little bit of an identity crisis here because, like I said, by profession, I'm a school teacher. Just finished 38 years. 38 years. So that, you know, that teaching thing is kind of grooved right into me. And, and, and today I'm standing here in the position of a preacher. So what am I? I don't know. Am I a teacher? Am I a preacher? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it matters <laughs> that much. But I may slip out of teacher mode into preacher mode. You let me know if I do. All right? <clears throat> you just kind of keep an eye on me. Now, before we really get into this passage that we're going to deal with today, it's Romans 5, 1 through 11. Before we get into the passage, there's a couple of things I want to set in our mind. The teacher in me likes to have a premise that we're working on. I like to have a platform. I, have, I like to have some things in our mind that we are thinking about because everything that we're going to talk about today stems from certain things. Here's the first one that I want to share with you and kind of get you thinking about a little bit. God's word is clear. God's word is clear. Uh, near the end of Moses' career, when, uh, leading the people of Israel, uh, in Deuteronomy it records him kind of reviewing the covenant uh, with God, with the people of Israel, and he was imploring them to stay faithful, to keep the covenant, to stay with God. And he says in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, he says this, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. It is not beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so you may obey it. Now, this, this thought, this idea applies not just to Romans 5, 1 through 11. I, I want us to attack Scripture every day. Every time we read it, we should be thinking those kinds of things. Sometimes people walk around and kind of say, Oh, the Bible's so complicated. I can't understand. Well, I agree it's complex, but I also truly, truly, firmly believe this that we can understand what we need to understand in order to live a life that is pleasing to God. I think God's word has been created in that manner. So when we come to look at a passage, let's look at it this way. 
What does God want me to know from this? What does he want me to understand from this? Clearly. All right, so that's our first thing. God's word is clear. And let's go find what we can understand from this passage here in a moment. Now, here's the next thing. Paul is, as he writes Romans 5, 1 through 11, he's working on a premise. He has a platform that he's working on. And here it is, this is for your outlines. His premise is, we are justified. Or you can say, you are justified. We're not going to talk today about whether you're justified or not. That's already been established a couple of ways. Paul's already written about it. You know, go back and read the previous chapters of Romans. He's already written about it. He says, you are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's been established. Steve preached about it a couple of weeks ago. So that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to operate from the, from the idea that, yes, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are justified. That's not going to be the question today. Am I justified or not? And we're not going to talk about that today. We are going to talk about things like hope and peace and grace. And those are words that you're going to hear today. And you might be feeling like, gosh, I hear those words a lot at church. But folks, <laughs> isn't that why we always come back? Isn't that what we come back for? When I go to Shapiro's, I get the, the Reuben. I always tell myself that I'm going to get something different. And I never do. I go to Shapiro's and I get the Reuben because I love the Reuben. And when I take a bite of that Reuben sandwich at Shapiro's Deli, I don't take a bite of it and say, oh, I've had this before. I take that bite of it and say, I love this. This is so good. Is that not what, what this right here, what we're doing right now, is that not what this is about? We come back because we want the peace. We want the grace. We want the hope. We have an appetite for it. And we come back for more and more and more of it. And every time we taste it, we think, oh, this is good. I love this. So we're going to hear today about things that flow out of being justified. And the things we're going to hear about are things like peace and grace and hope. They're not new things, but man, do we need them Amen? amen? It's okay for you to say amen. I'm in preacher mode. <laughs> I just switched on you. <laughs> now, there's, there's also a quick definition uh, that I, I want to cover before we, we kind of roll and get into this. Um, <clears throat> depending on the translation that you're looking at, and I'm going to read from a New International translation here in just a moment, you'll hear the word boasting a couple of times in the passage. And we have to be careful that we, we're thinking the right way about boasting. When we hear, typically, when we hear the word boasting, it, it kind of has a negative connotation. We don't have a favorable opinion of people who are boastful. Because to us, boasting usually means an elevation of self, right? We're lifting ourselves up and making ourselves sound good or making ourselves superior. And that's not really what Paul means when he writes boasting or when it's translated this way in this passage that we're going to talk about. Boasting here is a confidence that comes from something outside of myself. So boasting, and this is for your outline here, try to keep on track with that. I'm not Steve White. <laughs> boasting here is having a right base having a correct foundation, having firm footing, uh, standing on something solid, 
And, and, and so that's what that word is going to indicate when we hear it as we work our way through this passage. All right. Now, next thing I want to do here is I want to go ahead and read it. All right. It's Romans 5, 1 through 11. If you have a scripture yourself, follow along with me. Or, or uh, is it going to be on the screen? It might be on the screen. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which now we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Now there's one other thing that might kind of help us set our minds the right way before we kind of take a look at, at exactly what flows out of that passage. And that is this, if you have ever had the experience of getting a new job, maybe you've gotten a new job or you switch jobs, you got a new job. And one of the things that's pretty typical if you get a new job is you want to ask your prospective employer about the benefit package, right? What benefits are included in this job, and you begin to ask about things like retirement, investments, vacation, insurance. You want to know about those kinds of things, right? What's the benefit package? Or even just take insurance for a minute, if you would. Maybe it'll help you to think of it this way. There's a popular insurance company that, that in their advertising, they tell us, stop knocking on wood. And I think what they're getting at there is, uh, insurance-wise, they're saying, don't guess about your coverages, Know what's covered. Understand what's covered. Be on top of what's covered. Don't guess. No. Well, I think that's where we are here. The premise is we are justified, and out of that justification flows a benefit package. Justification brings benefits. It's in your outline. Teacher mode, sorry. So we need to look at that package. What's the package? What is it? What's included? So let's get to work, shall we? Let's go. All right. Benefit number one, peace. Now be careful here. Teacher mode once again. The prepositions here make a difference. What Paul is writing about here is not really the peace of God. It's peace with God. Now... Splitting hairs maybe a little bit, but they're two different things. 
The peace of God is a, real, a very real thing and a very critical thing and a very important thing to all of us. And I think a lot of us have experienced it. If you have had a time in your life when you have been through great turmoil, but you, you suddenly kind of sit back and think, how am I this calm? How am I holding it together? I am more calm than I even have a right to be. What's going on here? I usually freak out about things like this, but somehow, some way, I'm not freaking out. What's going on, folks? That is the peace of God. The Spirit implants peace into our hearts, and we find that we are calm when we shouldn't be. That's the peace of God. But that's kind of not what Paul's talking about here. He says that we are at peace with God. And here's what that means. There's no more animosity between me and God. We are not adversaries. We are not enemies. We're not on opposite sides. There's not tension between us. This is not an uncomfortable relationship. I am at peace with God. Paul doesn't go into a great detail here. He just says we are at peace with God. But in Ephesians 2, here's your homework assignment, teacher mode. In Ephesians 2, go home and read it. He makes these comparisons. Once I was dead in my transgression, now I am alive in Christ. Uh, once I was far away, now I am brought near. Once there were two people, now there's one. Once there were foreigners, I was foreigners and strangers. And now we are fellow citizens with Jesus Christ. Folks, this is very much once I was, but now I am. Are you not grateful for that? The transformation that takes place in your life when you come to Jesus Christ, once I was, but now I am. And I just slipped into preacher mode, didn't I? <laughs> it's all right, though. I don't think it's a bad thing. Praise God that he can take us and, and make something different, make something new. And what we find here, benefit number one, is that we're not enemies anymore. We are at peace with God. Let's move on. To this. I, I, this benefit package is off to a good start. I like it so far. I hope you do too. <laughs> benefit number two, grace. The phrase in the text that I'm looking at, again, I'm working off of a new international translation. So if you're looking at a scripture that's a different translation, maybe worded a little bit differently, but that's okay. And I'm starting in the middle of a sentence. Sorry about that. But Paul is writing, he says, through whom, pointing back to Jesus, through whom we have gained access. There's your outline item right there. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That, that gained access phrase, wow, that uh, uh, indicates to me that a requirement of some kind has been met. And, uh, and obviously the requirement that's been met here is the, re the, the, the requirement for righteousness. It's Jesus' blood on the cross. And that justification, that's part of the justification, that has thrown open the door. I have gained access into a new environment, a new realm, a new reality. And folks, this is a redefining moment when you realize that I am standing. I take my stand in the environment of grace. A lot of us have been through things in our lives where, where we kind of sit back and say, wow, this is just going to redefine, I'm going to have to kind of redefine my reality a little bit. 
Have you been through that? Major changes, change in job, losing a spouse, losing a parent. But sometimes we, we, we have to kind of step back and say, everything's going to be different from here on. I'm going to have to kind of redefine what life is, is all about here. I've got to redefine my reality. That's what this is. This grace redefines our existence, and we have gained access to it because we are justified. How? How did it happen? Well, there are two things that make it happen here. One is, obviously, uh, of course, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the supreme thing. The, the redemptive act of Christ on the cross is the supreme thing that has made this happen. But even Paul, Paul here indicates that my faith plays a role. I am justified through Jesus, through my faith. And my, my, my faith is a part of that. Now, I've got to give you a heads up here. Silly example, warning. All right, if there's people in my life group, they're shaking their heads, say, yeah, he does that all the time. Silly example warning, here it comes. The role that faith plays, what is it? I mean, it, it, this gets a little bit confusing. I, I, I'm justified by the blood of Christ. Uh, I am just, what role does my faith play? Well, think of it this way. If you're, let's say for a moment that you're in a body of water like the ocean or the Gulf of Mexico and the water is deep and you are struggling and you are afraid of drowning. You're really struggling. Two boats pull up, one on either side. One boat has, somebody in one boat says, I've got a life preserver right here. The other, somebody in the other boat says, I got a sack of bowling balls. <clears throat> Which do you want? <clears throat> and they're both going, me, me, oh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> Now, it's a silly example, and may, but maybe, maybe, wait a second, maybe it's not so silly. You're going to pick the life preserver, right? But here's the point of all that. What role does faith play? It's this. You're, you're, you're people of free choice. You get to choose. Where will you, what's going to be the target of your trust? Will, will you choose Jesus or will you choose something else to help you navigate your way through your life? And we're creatures of free choice, and we get to make that decision. Now, I would contend that Jesus is the life preserver, and pretty much everything else is a sack of bowling balls. Because <laughs> I think that everything else is eventually going to make you sink. But the role that faith plays is that choice about the target of my trust. And so when we read in this passage, I'm justified uh, by the blood of Christ. I am justified through faith. Does my faith play a role? Sure, absolutely it does. Let's move on to, oh, no, we're not ready to move on yet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this grace that we're talking about is free but not cheap. Free but not cheap. Ephesians 1.6 tells us that his grace is freely given. Okay, we have it right there. His grace is freely given. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you were bought with a price. And sometimes people kind of struggle with that whole idea. So wait, what is it? I mean, it's free, but it's expensive. There's a cost. So it's free, but it's not cheap. And when that door is flung open, when I've gained access to the grace of God and I examine it, if I, if I stand here and I examine the grace of God and I really examine it, 
not just a cursory glance, if I am willing to sit down long enough and really look at it and really try to analyze it and take it apart and see what it's all about, and I look at it in the light of my sin and of his holiness, then I can only come to one conclusion. And that conclusion is that this grace is so big and so great and so deep and so amazing that it demands a response from me. And I cannot let it sit there idle. And I must never, never, never treat the grace of God lightly. Benefit number two, I have gained access into an environment, into a world, into the realm of grace. Now let's move on to benefit number three. I still like this benefit package. It's looking good to me. Benefit number three, hope for the future. The phrase that Paul uses in the scripture here is, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, first of all, remember what we said about boasting. It's not a selfish kind of thing. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. But let's be clear about this hope. And don't look for this term in the scripture because it's not in there. This is my term. This is not field goal hope. And here's what I mean by that. This is not what I experience on a lot of Sunday afternoons as I sit and watch the Colts and they're down by two and there's three seconds left and Adam Vinatieri is lined up for a 45-yard field goal and you can ask my wife and my daughter back there if, if I don't get too, a little too worked up about that situation right there. I get a little bit too anxious about it, but I'm sitting there watching and think, oh, I hope he makes it, 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 but I don't know the outcome. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not a hope about something that I am uncertain. This is a hope that is sure and certain and rock solid. And it's, it, it is that glory of God is a thing that is, is set in the future. And it keeps me looking forward and it keeps me moving forward. And folks, don't we need that? Don't we have to have something that is up ahead of us, that makes us think, I can endure what I'm going through right now because I have that to move toward. So we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, that, that, what's the object of our hope here? Well, he says, Paul says, it's the glory of God. And that can be a little bit vague for some people. They'll look at that phrase and say, I'm not sure exactly what that's all about, and I'm not sure I understand it completely either, but... I do believe this. I do believe that the glory of God is all tied up in his restoring the original order and effectiveness of things that he first created. I want to be around for that. I want to be a part of that. When he sets everything back to rights and everything back the way it was and everything back the way it should be, I want to be around for that. But all of those kingdom things that we love to talk about and we love to hear about, things like bodies recreated, promises fulfilled, prophecies all wrapped up, the end of pain and suffering and sorrow, I'm on board for those. And we know those will happen. Those are set in the future and we know that they are coming. So one of the benefits that we have from our justification is we have a future thing to look forward to and move forward, and it helps us as we go through today. 
Now, benefit number four is hope for the present. In the meantime, you know, what do we do? I mean, for, for some, that whole glory of God thing isn't coming quick enough, right? So what do we do in the meantime? Well, Paul specifically addresses suffering here. And he says, and here's the phrase that's in the scripture once again. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings? What kind of language is this? What kind of writing is this? This seems very odd. Uh, we've got to wrap our brains around that a little bit. We glory in our suffering. And there are a couple of things that I think might help a little. First of all, there's this. Let's not confuse the ideal with the normal. Right? Because we know that there, there, there's, there's both things. There's ideal and there's normal. What time do your kids go to bed? Huh? Oh, 8 o'clock. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Really? Does that always happen? Jolie, do you go to bed at 8 o'clock? Huh? Huh? <laughs> There's the ideal. Well, ideally, they go to bed about 8 o'clock or 8.30, but is that what normally happens? There's, how long does it take to get through Atlanta on I-75 when you're driving? <laughs> hey, folks, there's an ideal and there's a normal with that. Ideally, but normally, there's this. Let's not fall into the trap of confusing the ideal for the normal. Some people, I think, do. Some people fall into the trap of thinking, my life should be ideal. Well, scripture does not promise that. There's a boatload of Scripture that, that says, no, 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 no. In this, in this world, you will have trouble. In fact, the classic Scripture that promises us that, that there will be difficulty here is John 16, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world all right then there but there's even this in philippians 129 it says it has been granted to me to you it has been granted to you to believe in him and to suffer with him and again i say what kind of language is that granted to suffer my goodness that's kingdom language right there and surely by now we know well we do and don't call me surely I'm sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> it's a movie reference. <clears throat> Surely by now we know that, that kingdom thinking is very often upside down. It is granted to me, it is given to me as a gift that I would suffer along with Jesus Christ. So let's be realistic. There will be difficulty, there will be trial, there will be suffering. But also, let's not be Eeyore. <laughs> oh boy, here we go again. Well, let's not approach it like that. I would much rather use the formula in Romans 8 that says, let's be more than conquerors. I would rather do that. Now, here's another little something that, that I think can help us in the present as we navigate our way through all of this. And it is uh, that the, just the fact that we know something. We have a little piece of knowledge in our mind that makes a difference in, in how we handle our current situations. In the, in the movie The Princess Bride, there is a scene where Inigo and Wesley are sword fighting. They both have their swords in their left hand, and they are dueling, and it is a mighty duel. And Wesley says, or Inigo says to Wesley, I admit it, you are better than I am. Wesley says, then why are you smiling? And Inigo says, because I know something you do not know. 
Wesley says, what is that? And Inigo says, I am not left-handed. <clears throat> now go watch the movie to see the rest of the scene. But the, the point here is that that knowledge, even in the middle of the fight, Wesley had this knowledge in the back of his head. I'm not left-handed. I'm going to be better than this because I'll switch to my right hand. <laughs> Knowledge makes a difference. What you know makes a difference as you work through the fight, right? And Paul says here, we can glory in our suffering because we know something. What do we know? We know that suffering produces three things in us, and this is for your outline. Perseverance, character, hope. And that perseverance is just a staying power. <clears throat> Stick with it. Don't give up. Remain faithful. Don't quit. It's a staying power. And it sinks down deep into our soul. If you do it, if you stick with it, if you stay with it, it sinks into our soul and becomes what? Character. It becomes part of who you are. And when it does that, it generates, it gives birth to a new thing that gets us through. And what is that? It is hope. Stick with it, it will sink in, and you will have hope to get through anything that you're going through. You will know that it will not always be this way. Amen? Just a couple of things to wrap up quickly. A little bit about the provider. If you have a benefit package, you kind of want to know about the provider. You want it to be a solid company. Somebody's going to be around for a while. Well, guess what? In this case, you've got the best provider you could possibly have. He's not going anywhere. And there are three things. His timing is impeccable. And if you look at the passage, it says it, uh, at, at the perfect time, while we were still powerless... God redeemed us. I've never known God's timing to be off. Not once. Next thing. He started it. Does that sound familiar? Do you see it? Or hear that at your house? He started it. But the, the, the point here is that God acted first. In this whole benefit package that flows out of my justification, he, he started it. He acted first. And anything I do from here on is a reaction to what's been offered to me his love is, un, is indescribable. That could have been the whole sermon. But Paul uses the very rarely and might possibly phrases in there to kind of frame that up. What drove the redemptive act of Christ on the cross? God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that Christ died while we were yet sinners. Love was the driving force. Last couple items. Verses, if you look at verses 9 through 11, you're not really going to find new benefits, but you're going to find intensifiers that turn it up a little bit for you. First of all, how much more, that phrasing, how much more. If God did all this while I was yet a sinner, then how, it's just going to get better as I live with him, right? Doesn't that follow? Isn't that logical? How much more will this be as I live with God? Note the polarity. We've already talked about this a little bit. There are two things going on here. There's the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, and there's my faith that's involved in this. But we have to note the polarity or the direction. That's another way to say that. Note the direction. The redemptive act of Christ is first, and my faith is a reaction to that. The benefits flow from the justification. So note the polarity. <clears throat> 
Hope of heaven, fear of judgment. Verse 2 focuses on the glory of heaven. Verse 9 says that I am saved from God's wrath. I would rather focus on verse 2, but I'll go on record as saying I don't mind verse 9 either. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I don't mind it. I'm okay with verse 9. doesn't bother me. And this is not just a truce. Verse 1 speaks about peace with God, but verse 9 through 11 take it further. It's not just peace. I delight. I rejoice. I boast. I love my relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a wonderful benefit package. Peace, grace, hope for the future, hope for the present. All of them flow out of justification. And these benefits give me hope. And this hope will not put me to shame. Let's stand and sing.